why worship god to attain the peace of non dual state it is the view of believers theists that there must be a god who created this universe which functions with order and discipline and who directs it every action produces a result it is god who evaluates our actions and favors us with the fruits of such actions they say it may be asked let there be a god but why should he be worshiped with devotion did he create us in consultation with us because he has created us we face only problems why then show devotion to him such objections could be raised if the believers say he is also capable of solving the problems therefore practice devotion to him others may object to this also if your god will remove our sorrows and sufferings only if we pray to him it means that he is not as you claim the ocean of mercy it may also be asked you say that he delivers to us the fruits of our actions depending on the nature of the actions if so when he gives us suffering as a punishment to our sins is it proper for us to pray to him to change it the great nilakanda dikshitar gives a reply to this in his ananda sagara stavam he says oh mother meenakshi there is no need to tell you anything you know everything even so if i do not speak out to you my problems i feel a pain in my heart merely by opening my mouth appealing to you gives me a temporary relief and confidence it is for this reason that i speak before you about my problems even though you know everything no one can avoid speaking to others about one's problems merely speaking about it openly gives some peace instead of speaking to others indiscriminately without knowing how they would react we can place our problems before god whether as ocean of mercy he relieves us of our problems without our asking or whether as one who delivers appropriate fruits for our actions he will definitely punish us for our sins or whether without relieving us of our problems he gives us the mental poise to bear with the problems pleading with him only will give us some peace but really speaking when i talk about devotion to ishvara it is not for the purpose of seeking from him remedy for our ills nor have i meant that we should offer devotional worship as an act of gratitude for his having blessed us with a happy life if i speak in that sense some could raise the objection one who has planted a tree has to water it one who has created us have to give us good life that is his duty what is there to be grateful for therefore i do not talk of devotion or bhakti in such contexts 
The reason why I talk about it is that both sorrow and happiness which I mentioned disturb the mind. A mind which is at peace is real bliss. Other types of happiness are not permanent. It is true that during sleep and in a state of mental disorder there is no sorrow or happiness. But in that state there is no awareness that we are happy and peaceful. There should be no disturbance in the mind but we should experience the peace with the full awareness of the same. If that state is reached we would become unequaled. Because there is the mind and thoughts generate therein, the thought arises that we as jivas are different from Paramatma. If the mind becomes still, perception of differences will disappear. We will become still in the great Advaitic non-dual state in which there is nothing other than Paramatma. Even if we still our mind, for obtaining peace and calm its result would be the experience of absolute Advaita. To reach that state, we have to keep meditating on the one which is in that state. If we keep constantly thinking of only one thing, we become like that. This is accepted even by modern science. This way, the ideal example for the state of bliss and peace is the Lord alone. The Lord who conducts the universe keeps watch and distributes fruits according to actions, does not get weary but remains in a state of peace. The Lord is called Sthanu which means a log of wood. It is wood in which life is active but it looks as if it is lifeless. The creeper that winds itself around this wood is Ambal. That creeper also has the name Aparna which means creeper without leaves. Parashakti who is the creeper and who throbs with life but without upsurge of emotions has wound herself around the Supreme who is full of life but looks inert. When we think of the Lord, two aspects, namely Jnana and Peace come to our mind. Therefore, as we keep meditating on the Lord, both Jnana and Peace accrue to us in a big way. It is for this I say that the Lord, Saguna Brahmam and devotion, which is meditation on Him, are necessary. Whether we appeal to the Lord for getting relief for our problems or we express our gratitude to Him for our well-being, as the practice of thinking of Him gets more and more intense, our mind will automatically get detached from thoughts about our problems or our well-being. The attitude of leaving the burden on Him with the faith let things happen as He ordains and being carefree will develop. A kind of joy and peace will land on the mind. This is what will lead us to life eternal. For us, with never-ending wants, this shows the way to achieve fullness which does not change. 
The truth is that only by self-enquiry, meditation and yoga it would be possible to still the mind and be in a state of fullness. The question may be raised why instead of talking about these practices, I am talking about Bhakti. Sri Adishankara Bhagavad Pada has declared that the state in which there is no action and no thought not even the thought of bhakti is moksha. We may think, why then I am asking you to engage in devotional worship? In one context, the Acharya also says that, of the means to attain moksha, bhakti has the highest place. But when I try to see if this supports my position, in the very next line he gives a new definition to bhakti. He says, to enquire into the real nature of self and be immersed in it is bhakti. The bhakti as defined by him can only be self-enquiry, meditation and yoga and not what is generally understood as bhakti which I referred to earlier namely that there is the Lord external to us and the love we show to him is bhakti. Alright. Although the Acharya has defined Bhakti in this manner, he himself has established the conduct of elaborate pujas to Chandramaulishwara in our Mats. Although he has declared that the ultimate aim is the formless truth of the Spirit, he has himself organized the worship of gods with different forms for which he earned the title Shanmada Stabakar one who established the six forms of worship. He had travelled from one holy place to another and sang stotras in praise of the presiding deities there. When we look at this, it is clear that the devotional worship in which we engage in practice has Acharya's approval. There is a general view that Jnana is the highest that self-enquiry, meditation and yoga are on par, devotional worship, puja, pilgrimage etc. are a slot lower and that religious rituals and practices are still lower in gradation. These days educated people hold such strong views. The view is widely prevalent that rituals and superstitions, devotional worship etc. is merely sentimental and that only meditation, yoga and self-enquiry are spiritual. Although the Acharya who has immersed in spiritual bliss and who had established Advaita in which there is neither action nor thought was a otary of Jnana Marga, the way of knowledge. He has provided of devotional worship involving the mind and the religious practices. There is a reason for this. For all of us who are entrapped in this world, the mind is in a state of continuous disturbance. It refuses to be still even for a moment. On the contrary, if we attempt to still it and be in an actionless state and without thoughts, that is not found feasible. 
Thoughts keep flying as it were on all sides. Our attachments, enmities, sorrows, fears, joys, etc. keep dashing alternately like waves and confusing us. Because of this, we go on planning to do this or that. Therefore, by merely telling still the mind and get immersed in the self, it is not possible to achieve that stage in practice. So, what is the reason for our inability to still the mind? It is the result of our actions in previous births, Purva Karma. Birth after birth, we committed a variety of wrongs and sins. Till such sins are expiated, the great bliss of self-experience will not become ours. Such bliss can be attained only after the Lord, who is the dispenser of the fruits of action, has punished us for all our sins. How can the effect of sin be wiped out? It is possible only by virtuous deeds. It is because of his great consideration for the sinner, the Lord gives him another birth so that sins committed in one birth could at least be wiped out in the next birth. But what do we do? Instead of doing virtuous deeds to ex expiate for old uh, sins, we commit newer and newer sins and increase the load of sins. It is for dissolving the sins. Instead of multiplying them, the Acharya has prescribed rituals and devotional worship as adjuncts to Jnana. Sins are of two kinds, one committed by bodily action and the other by sinful thoughts. To expiate for sinful acts, virtuous deeds must be performed. To expiate for the sinful thoughts, virtuous thoughts must be developed. What is a virtuous deed? It is the performance of that duty prescribed by the Vedas for each one. Worldly life must progress on right lines. Social life will be orderly only if the duties to be performed by using brain power, the duties to be performed by rulers and the duties to be performed by the traders, merchants and duties to be performed in the form of physical labor do not conflict with each other but complement each other. It is for this reason that Veda Shastra has divided society for the performance of the four kinds of duties and ordained the rules and regulations and observances for each group depending upon its duties. If people perform duties without violating this code, that itself becomes a virtuous deed. When does an action result in sin? It is when, acting with selfish desire, we venture to indulge in all kinds of wrongful actions to achieve our selfish goal. By doing so, we load our mind with the impurity of enmity, fear, sorrow, etc. Instead of desiring to achieve a selfish goal of our own, if we start acting consistent with what the Vedas have prescribed, there will be 
no avarice, no competition. Therefore, there will be no enmity, sorrow, etc., which arise out of such competition. Realizing that it is for the welfare of the society as a whole and the world itself that the Vedas have divided the duties, if duties are performed with thought for the greater good of the world and not for selfish gratification, such actions become virtuous deeds and would do us real good. They not only benefit the society in its day-to-day -day life, but also cleanses of our own sins. Total commitment to an action becomes possible only when the itch of selfish desire is absent and therefore the action itself is honest. Since the mind is totally involved in the action, the chance of its indulging in sinful thoughts is minimized. In other words, virtuous deeds gradually help to cleanse the mind. Thought and action are closely interrelated. If one sits idle without doing any work, all kinds of bad thoughts will invade the mind. There is an English proverb that an idle mind is the devil's workshop. It is for this reason that the mind should be first cleansed if it is to be stilled and Advaita Jnanam experienced. It is because in the early stages it is possible to cleanse the mind only by rituals. Acharya has prescribed Vedic duties for the very same reason. Thoughts of helping others and of service and sacrifice are the virtuous ones which would remove sinful thoughts. In a general way, we can call it love. To turn this love towards the Paramatma, who is the source of all the sentient and non-sentient world is Bhakti. Since Paramatma is our support base, if we train our mind to be turned to Him, it easily stands attached to Him. Completely devoid of sinful thoughts and the sins of several previous births having been washed out by meditation on the Lord, the mind attains the single-minded state of holding on to the Paramatma only. For the mind to take hold of only one thing in this manner is the stage prior to its being destroyed. The mind which was vacillating in a million ways will thus get hold of one thing only and then immerse in it and get dissolved in it at the end. In the end, the Atma, which is of the form of eternal bliss, will alone survive. It is for achieving the It is for achieving the Dhyana Yoga state, the state of meditation, by taming the mind to hold on to one thing that Bhagavad Pada has laid down, performance of rituals, practice of bhakti, etc., as stepping stones. Bhakti, which begins with recitation of prayers, puja, pilgrimage, etc., will help us to take the mind closer to Paramatma and we will start experiencing his great peace, which is his real nature. It is because, unlike in sleep, 
or the unconscious state bhakti takes us closer to paramatma in a fully conscious state i say that everyone should practice bhakti it is of no use merely talking of advaitam ishvara the lord is the personification of the state which is of absolute peace thinking about him will give us at least momentary experience of that state every now and then instead of talking about the state of advaita which we cannot understand and to which we cannot attach ourselves with love viewing the nirguna state state without qualities as ishvara the saguna brahmam brahmam with auspicious qualities only will create interest and lift us it is for being lifted like this that saguna brahmam swami is very much needed worshiping him with devotion also becomes necessary so bhakti is a requirement not for getting relieved of the sorrows of worldly life but to gain knowledge of ourselves and enjoy the absolute peace of the self shri gurubhyo namaha